Good morning and thank you for singing and worshiping with us. It is a true honor to get to be in this great historic church. I have long admired the First Baptist Church of Louisville, really since the time I came to the Dallas-Fort Worth area for seminary and have known of you and of your great work. And uh, it is a thrill to be here. I would tell you a story or two about Dr. Vaughn, but he's watching and if he's not... (laughs) This is recorded and it would probably get back to me and he is well connected, which, uh, which means it would come around to haunt me, right? But uh, he has become a dear, dear friend over the last 10 years, helped me through a doctoral program that he led, was a tremendous blessing to kind of re-energize my soul and mind and I am grateful for him and I know you are as well And we look forward to them being back together with you very soon. I do bring you greetings from the Denison Forum. Any of you familiar with us, Denison Forum, Dr. Jim Denison? uh, We can be found on the internet or interweb, if you will, at denisonforum.org. Our goal at the Denison Forum is to explain the culture to the church, to you, so that you can help redeem the culture. That's what we are about. We write articles, we write books, we provide uh, other types of resources that we would hope would help you. We are best known for what is called the Daily Article, which is about a six-minute read or podcast written by Dr. Dennison five days a week that you can get in your email or on your podcast platform. Dr. Dennison will take up things that are going on in our world And in the news, and he will help you to see them and live them out in a biblical way. A fabulous resource. You can find us at denisonforum.org. We'd love to be helpful to you. We're trying to be like this group of people in the Old Testament called the tribe of Issachar. It said of the people of Issachar that they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. So we're trying to help the church in our time to do just that. And we hope to be partners with you in every way. But I'm excited to be here and share God's word with you this morning. When you get called in at the last minute, you go back to your anchor point. You go back to what preachers sometimes called their sugar stick, all right? But 40 years ago, I was about one year old in my faith. I was planted by God in a wonderful spiritual incubator called the Green Acres Baptist Church. I was starting to date this beautiful young lady who would eventually become my wife over the last 36 years. I went to church on on any given Sunday morning, just like this morning. The preacher stood up and did what he always did. He told a couple of jokes and he preached the lights out. And God inscribed some of the aspects of that message on my heart, and they have carried me through for the last four decades, quite literally. The title of the sermon was called, How God Helps Us. I don't remember all of the sermon, but some of its structure has stayed with me. It's my sermon, but it's my pastor's outline. You see, what God helps us to know is that he is on our side. And what you and I want to know is, does this really work? Does Christianity really work? Really answers that question that Dr. Phil likes to ask every afternoon on your television. How's that working for you? 
Do you know that Americans are very pragmatic people? In fact, we are known as the founders of an entire system of philosophy and thought called pragmatism. Founded about 175 years ago by a couple of philosophers who were native to our part of the world. We want to know, does it work? In fact, we've decided it can't really be true unless it works. That's what pragmatism is all about. And I think that's what a lot of people outside the faith want to know from us as well. Does it really work? All that you say and do and celebrate on a Sunday morning, does it really work in the trenches of life? I believe it does. And the Apostle Paul expressed that it does near the very end of his life in some of his last words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with the 16th verse. Would you out of reverence for God and his word stand as I read just three verses from Paul's closing testimony to his young protege in the faith, Timothy. He writes this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, at my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him, to him be the glory forever and ever. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Does it really work? The Apostle Paul is back in prison. We don't know exactly how many times he was arrested, but the likelihood is is that he had been arrested and taken from Jerusalem to Rome. We read about that in the latter part of the book of Acts. We know that they weren't quite sure what to do with him. And in fact, some of the Romans that took him to Rome were pretty sympathetic to him. They had spared his life, protected his life, and gotten him to Rome because he was the one who had strategically used his Roman citizenship to appeal to Caesar when he had been unjustly accused. The Romans, many of them, didn't really think he was guilty of anything, certainly not anything worthy of death, and they wanted to turn him loose. But because he had used his citizenship that way, they were obligated to get him to Rome, and they did. The book of Acts describes a really kind of soft experience of house arrest where Paul was allowed to receive his friends and to continue on teaching, waiting for the authorities to exercise their plan. Paul probably got released from that, but then got rearrested as an insurrectionist, as a terrorist, if you will, trying to overthrow Rome, according to some people. And he was now back in prison, this time likely listening to the gallows being prepared for him just outside of his cell window. It is in that environment that he takes pen in hand and again starts to write to his young protege in the faith named Timothy who is pastoring the church at Ephesus. 
This little letter is powerful and beautiful in its depth, especially if you are a ministry leader. You're a pastor, a minister, a staff leader, or a deacon, or you lead other aspects of ministry. It's powerful for everybody, but especially if you're in that context, it only takes you about 12 minutes to read it. But it is a powerful testimony of the faithfulness of God. That God really does help us. That this really does work. And as we read a moment ago, near the end of this letter, you get a sense of Paul's confidence. That God does help us in Jesus by giving us grace for disappointments, strength for trials, and hope for the end. For these few minutes, I wonder if you'll just think with me about those three ideas. That it really does work. That if you'll commit yourself wholly and completely to Jesus as your king, you can be confident that no matter what life comes to you with, God will be there to help you with grace for the disappointments. You hear it in his voice, don't you? At my first defense, as he came to trial, ready to give his life because of his faith in this guy named Jesus, He says, at that moment when I was really up against it, when I was really being pressed by the Roman authorities, he said, at that moment when it would have meant so much to me to have somebody by my side, at that moment, everybody, everyone deserted me. That word deserted is powerful. It means to abandon, to forsake. It is exactly the same Greek word that Jesus uttered from the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can feel the ethos of that word, can't you? Can you sense the disappointment and the pain behind it? But right on its heels, Paul says, may it not be counted against them. What enormous, supernatural kind of grace toward the friends that should have been with him. The friends that should have risked their lives along with his. I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago for our website in which I talked about how as a pastor, I'd had experiences over the years, many of them glorious, but some of them really painful. That there was this one occasion where my, my assistant, Amy, for 20 years, she, she came in at one point and she said, I just got to tell you this story. I was talking to such and such couple yesterday, a young couple in our church, and, and, and they were so excited about the church, so excited about what was going on here, so excited they had found the place, so excited about you as pastors. They said, you know what, they think that you are the Michael Jordan of pastors. <laughs> I mean, hey, come on, you, there is, I mean... The only thing better than that maybe would have been if they had said, we think that Mark is the Roger Stallback of pastors. You remember Roger Stallback? He played for a a one-time professional team called the Cowboys. Never mind, let's don't go there. Do you know that that same couple, less than 12 months later, disappeared from my church without a single word of explanation? Judy and I get up on... Most mornings listening to a country station 
KSCS radio, we like to get up every morning at 6.30 and listen to this little segment called the Second Date Update. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The plot of the segment is, is that somebody meets somebody else, usually on a dating app. They go out on a first date and, and one of them really likes it and, and tries to reach out to the, to the person they dated only to get no response. They don't answer texts. They don't respond to Facebook messages. They don't respond at all. It's called ghosting. Ever been ghosted? You know the disappointment of it. The Apostle Paul had such a mixture of relationships. You can read about him in this little letter. He talks about all kinds of experiences with people that are both delightful and so disappointing. In the first chapter, he uses the same word again. He says, at a particular moment in his ministry, everybody in Asia, everybody in Asia that he'd been trying to work with and for, they all deserted him. He even names, he calls out people who had who had started working with him and following this guy named Jesus as their king, yet they went on to become false teachers and to start leading people away. If you just back up in this same chapter to the 10th verse, you'll hear Paul talk about a guy named Demas. Nobody names their kid Demas anymore, right? Why don't we call anybody Demas? Because Paul said of Demas, Demas has forsaken me, deserted me. Why? Because he loved this present world more. Don't you wonder what the story behind that is? Was Demas kind of like Timothy? At one point, recruited by the Apostle Paul into ministry, maybe even... Paul led Demas to believe in Christ for the first time and believed in him, trusted him, brought him onto his ministry team, started traveling with him to start churches and strengthen churches and was doing all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, Demas just packed up and turned tail. All throughout this letter, you'll find stories that both delighted and shattered the Apostle Paul's heart. He'll talk about, in the first chapter, a guy named Onesiphorus. You should name your kid Onesiphorus, by the way. It'd be hard for them to spell, but wouldn't it be impressive when they were on stage? Yeah, that one on the end, Onesiphorus, that's my kid. What does Paul say about Onesiphorus? He often refreshed me. Would you think, stop right now. I know I'm boring you to death. Would you just stop? And think about that person in your life this last week, this last month, this last year, maybe your whole life that just refreshes you so often when they contact you. Would you just stop right now and thank God for that person? Paul says of Anisiphorus, he searched for me and he often refreshed me and he was not ashamed of my chains. Wow. Paul talks about Luke being with him right now. He even talks about John Mark in this last chapter. John Mark, who he did recruit into ministry, who he took on a ministry trip with him, who John Mark, you remember, abandoned that trip because of probably its difficulty and turned tail, went home, ultimately became the flashpoint for why Paul and Barnabas ended up splitting up as a missionary team because of their disagreement about John Mark. But now, now, some 30 years later... Paul says to Timothy, when you come, bring John Mark with me. He is good for my ministry. 
Somehow they had patched it all back together. Disappointments come, right? Disappointments are especially personal because they are relational. We all have this mixture of of relationships spinning around us. When young couples come to me and ask me to perform their wedding, I say, well, I want to sit down and have some conversations with you. Most of those conversations about dealing with expectations that they would have of each other and of the life that they're about to start with each other. I try to help them to not set themselves up for failure through disappointment with each other. Because when you get married, you learn a whole bunch of stuff you never would have learned any other way, right? You learn a lot about your expectations. When you get into relationships with people, you find out that you had expectations you didn't even know you had. Marriage and parenting and other relationships, they'll surface those expectations. You didn't even know you had them. Of course, we talk about expressing and communicating your expectations nobody is a mind reader and if you if you're in a marriage today and if you have that idea well i if i just had married the right person they would know me they're my soulmate they're supposed to be able to read my no 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 they might be your soulmate but nobody is a mind reader you have to speak your expectations your hopes and then let's just be real honest folks there are some expectations that you and i have that have been growing in us and they came right from the pit of hell they're just selfish and they're ungodly and they're things that we ought to confess and repent of but we all have this life where we get disappointed and particularly disappointed in people and we need the supernatural grace of our king to forgive To be like the Apostle Paul, who at this incredible moment of pressure and testing and fear, everybody walked away, and yet he says, he says, may it not be held against them. That's a supernatural kind of thing to pray for. It's the kind of thing that Jesus, when he's literally laid out on a piece of slab, on on hard rock and on a cross. They're putting nails through his hands and his feet. And Jesus is announcing to the world, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Paul wasn't there, but later on, later on, the book of Acts chapter 6, right? He is instrumental in persecuting Christians because he thinks this is one of the worst heresies he's ever seen. And we learn about him before he has the name Paul. He's called Saul. And he is doing everything out literally to breathe fire out on the church in persecution. And one of those that he watches die is the first martyr of the church, Stephen. And it says that this guy named Saul, who would later become our Paul, he is holding on his arms the cloaks of people who have ripped off their outer garments so that they can pelt Stephen to death with rocks. And he watches as Stephen dies. And with his last breaths, what does Stephen say? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. I wonder right now, if you could think about that person that has most recently and most deeply disappointed you. Maybe it was the first time they did. Maybe it was 
the hundredth time that they did. But as you think of them right now, would you ask God, God, give me grace. Give me grace for them. God, you have forgiven me when I disappointed you. God, give me grace, supernatural grace toward that person. And help me move on. I don't watch this show. I don't even want to know what you watch. And I'm not going to tell you what I watch, okay? I've heard this show is really popular, though. Especially among younger people than I. The, church, the show is Ted Lasso. And if you know it, don't have to confess. Ted Lasso's become enormously popular on the streaming service. I don't know why, but... Out of that show comes one scene, a little bit of advice. It goes like this. You know what the happiest animal on the planet is? It's a goldfish. Do you know why? A goldfish has a memory that stretches all of 10 seconds. God, would you help us? Would you help us to remember the things that we need to remember and to forget the things that we need to forget? Be like a goldfish. God gives us grace for the disappointments. He gives us strength for the trials. Paul says, everybody deserted me, but God stood with me. In the midst of these trials that were coming his way, that were likely going to eventually take his life, these trials that come from the devil that are personal to us and at times see so random to us, right? We've been warned. Jesus tried to prepare us. In multiple ways, not so that we would be panicked, not so that we would be discouraged and despairing, but we would be ready. Jesus said, right before he went to the cross, John 16, 33, many of you have memorized it. In this world, you will have tribulation or trouble. But remember the rest. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we're advised that life on this side of heaven is difficult and that we're likely to encounter all kinds of random personal struggle and that if we will put it on the altar of God, God can do something with it because he's never abandoning us in those moments. Paul says that it was like he was facing the lion's mouth. It's an interesting phrase. Makes us who've hung around church for a while immediately think of the story of Daniel. Daniel being thrown into the lion's den when he was completely righteous in every way. He had simply gone home to do what was just, that was, which was ground in his heart. He went home to pray three times a day. And his enemies didn't like it, so they concocted a plan where he would be found guilty of, of not honoring the king. But Daniel didn't waver. He kept on praying and he got arrested for it. He got eventually thrown into the lion's den and God saved him. That's what we think about when we hear that phrase. But in this particular instance, it could be a reference to one of two things. It could literally be another reference to a literal lion's den where they would throw prisoners to meet their death. It might also simply be a reference to the Roman government. The one that was putting him on trial and might eventually end his life. We don't know if it is literal or metaphorical. But we do know from the story of the Apostle Paul's life, right, that he went through all kinds of stuff because of his 
passion for Christ as his king. You can go back and read 2 Corinthians 11, this long litany of all kinds of trials. Where Paul says, this happened to me and that happened to me. I was beaten this many times. I was stoned that many times. I was like a cork bobbing in the Mediterranean all night long. I went through a shipwreck. I went through this kind of arrest. I went through this kind of persecution. And he tells us in this letter that some of that's likely to be our experience as well. Right before he writes this fourth chapter, he says, everyone... Everyone who wants to live a godly life will face persecution. At the Denison Forum, we believe that in our part of the world, that persecution is rising. That because we live in a society that has decided to abandon God, we've decided that there's no such thing as absolute truth. We've decided that truth is subjective and personal. It's whatever truth is to you rather than an objective thing. The only problem with that is it doesn't make any sense, right? To make a claim that there is no such thing as absolute truth is to make an absolute truth claim. But we believe there's no such thing as the truth, just my truth and your truth. And like Oprah says, why don't you go live your truth? And therefore, things like our sexuality has become personal and subjective as well. And now we're living in a time where Christians are no longer just simply considered irrelevant. They're now considered dangerous. Survey came out not long ago. The people were asked, who would you least like to live next door to? Number one response of that, I would least like to live next door to a person who was radical in their faith. We believe that opposition is growing. We're trying to prepare people for that. Paul says in this case that he'd gone through a lot of different trials, but you hear early in this passage, just before the verse we read, he says to Timothy in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. We don't know exactly who this Alexander was, but he was probably one of the metal workers in Ephesus who worked alongside another guy by the name of Demetrius. They would craft out of metals, statues, idols that would be used by people to worship the goddess there in Ephesus. And when Paul came and preached the gospel, he upset their work. He eliminated a lot of their market share and they weren't happy about that. So they had him arrested and they wanted him eliminated. We don't know all of what Alexander or Demetrius might have done to Paul, but we know that none of it was good. But in that kind of trial and in every trial, Paul comes to the end of his life to say, in every one of those places, the Lord stood with me. The Lord gave me strength, the word literally is dynamite, so that he might fulfill his purpose through Paul, which was to share the gospel with more and more and more and more Gentiles. Can't remember who it was that said it, but I think it's been true. Every one of us must bear our share of this world's heartache. My ministry partner, Jim Dennison, likes to say it this way, God redeems God redeems all that he allows or sins. We don't understand how all that works. It would be crazy for us to want to suffer or to seek suffering. 
But the Bible says it here, it says it in James chapter 1, Romans chapter 5, and all throughout its pages, that if we put all of our struggles into his hands, he'll make marvelous things out of it. So what pressure are you feeling this morning? What struggle do you have? The answer to that, by the way, might be none. And that's good. That's good. Some of you are here and you're like, you know what? It's a brand new year. I feel good. Life's going pretty well. I'm excited about where things are. Thank God for that. That's a little bit depressing, but I remember standing in the halls of Howard Payne when I first heard it. Hey, if you're going to be a pastor, be nice to everybody because everybody is either on their way into trouble, in the middle of trouble, or just coming out of trouble. Isn't that kind of a depressing statement? (laughs) Unfortunately, it's pretty accurate. So if you're not in any trouble, thank God. Get up here and be the cheerleader, all right? If you're just now coming out, thank God he got you through it. But some of you might be in the middle of it. You might be battling long COVID or short COVID. I had a friend of mine got laid off from work right before Christmas time. He'll probably get a job, but he doesn't have one today. Parenting has never been for the faint of heart, no matter if your kids are 5, 15, or 55. Boy, that hit a nerve, didn't it? (laughs) Church change can be a trial. Church life on any given day can be a trial, can it not? Lots of hard stuff comes our way. You might be like a friend of mine when he faced cancer. He said, you know, I can't go around it. I can't go over it. I can't go under it. I can just go through it with the strength and power of God. It works. It works. If we'll ask him, he'll give us grace for the disappointments and strength for the trials. And we can count on him to give us hope for the end. The Apostle Paul said... That God had stood with him. And so he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil work. And he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Maybe it was an actual lion's mouth that Paul was sensing. Maybe it was just all those heartaches and troubles. Don't you always feel like you're just one half step ahead of the devil in the mouth that is trying to bite you? But the Apostle Paul had this confidence over and over throughout all of his letters that God had a plan to overcome our last and greatest enemy, death. He said to the Thessalonians that there would be a trumpet that would sound and the sky would open up and Jesus would come again for his family. To the Romans, he said that we would be more than victors, more than conquerors because of this love that we cannot be separated from. He said to the Corinthians that, yes, we groan in this present world, but there is a new life coming that out of the seed of we of the life we have now planted in this world, that there will be a beautiful harvest of a brand new kind of resurrected life. To the Colossians, he said that this great 
God of grace has adopted us and made us full heirs of his kingdom. To the Philippians, he said, I don't know whether I should stay or go. It's good if I stay and help you and build up the church, but it's better if I leave and go to be with God. And even here, even here in this fourth chapter, the fifth verse, Paul says, I long to depart or I'm about to depart. The word literally means to weigh anchor. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? How many of you ever want to go on another one? All those people want to float around in one of those Petri dishes that go out in the ocean, right? When Paul says in the fourth chapter, in the fifth verse, that, that he knows that his life is about to come to an end. It's like being poured out as a drink offering of worship to God. He says, I am about to depart. It's a naval term. It literally means like what you see when you go down to the port at Galveston or Miami or one of the others. And, and you watch as they pull up the lines and they set sail and that ship goes out of the harbor and the further it gets away from you the smaller it gets but it hasn't gotten small in reality it's just gotten small in proximity you know that if you got closer to it it'd be just as big as it always was paul says i know i'm about to set sail maybe i'll get out of jail out of jail this time but maybe i won't But I know that if I do set sail from this earthly life, that there is a crown. He calls it the crown of righteousness that the righteous judge, his king, will give him because of his faith. My pastor used to tell us all the time, from the moment that you're conceived, you're old enough to die. From the moment that you're conceived. We've seen a lot of death. It's hard to believe that we're just three years past this thing called COVID. Just a couple of weeks ago, Judy and I marked the third anniversary of the passing of her father and my mother two weeks apart in the year 2020. A couple of months from now, Easter will fall The second Sunday in April, just exactly as it did 30 years ago in 1993. In that year, Judy and I were young parents. I'd been called in December to be the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Van. I was preparing to preach my first Easter message at the First Baptist Church. When on the Monday previous to Easter, there was a knock at the youth minister's door where we were playing board games, getting acquainted with our new staff, and my worship pastor stood on the front porch to tell me that my father had died of a sudden heart attack at the age of 62. As I reflected on that with Judy yesterday, it occurred to me that I have now been alive on this planet for as long as without a father, as I was with a father. Death is real. Judy's dad used to take her and her sisters on rides through the countryside of East Texas. If they passed a little cemetery as they went down one of those country roads, he'd like to make a joke with them. He said, you know, people are dying to get in there. But God is the one who has died to give us a way out. 
He's the king who has conquered sin, death, and grave. So that whether you are old or young, sick or well, you can have an absolute rock-solid hope that all that goes on in this life now is but a prelude to the glorious life that's coming. Christopher Munzahira was the Roman Catholic bishop of Bukavu in eastern Zaire. In 1996, he was executed by Rwandan soldiers for his faith and his activism in their country. When the people gathered to celebrate his life and to have his funeral, someone eulogized him by reminding the mourners of this priest's most famous and favorite saying that went simply like this, there are things that can be seen only by eyes that have cried. Maybe you've cried recently. But let me ask you, Your own worship bulletin has a little block that says, what is God saying to me today? Would you ponder that a moment with your heads bowed and eyes closed? What is God saying to me today in this moment? What is God saying to you? about the grace that you need and hopefully long for to forgive those disappointments and those people who have disappointed you? What is God saying in this moment where you perhaps feel abandoned and hard-pressed? Where is it that you need to ask God and praise God that he will stand with you and empower you and even use your situation to extend the gospel? Where? Where have you faced death or fear facing it? Can you claim the hope that Jesus has given us the resurrection, and the life that he is. Lord, as those beautiful children reminded us, you care about everything, the who, the what, the where, the why. You care about every one of us. And Father, for that, we have come this morning to worship you, to celebrate you, to praise you, to call on you. For we desperately need you now as we have always needed you and always will. God, thank you. Thank you that you are here in this moment. That all of you is in this moment. God, you know the need and hope, the hurt of every heart. God, we pray that you would help us, help us to just know you better. And to live with you. And to live for you as our King. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together.